Thanks so much for joining us here on the Rivers Church Podcast. We see a church full of passionate people who reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is to equip people to love, live, and lead in God's kingdom. We hope you enjoy today's message and pray that it encourages you to be all that God has destined you to be. If you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us and check us out on our website at riverschurch.co. That's riverschurch.co. So if you'll all stand with me for the reading of the word, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 20, and we're going to read the whole thing, if that's all right. We are in the New Living Translation. Then I saw an angel coming down with heaven from heaven with a key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, that old serpent, who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in the chains for a thousand years. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked, so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. Afterward, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and the people sitting on them had been given the authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus, and for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his statue, nor accepted his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They all came to life again, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them the second death holds no power, but they will be the priests of God and of Christ, and will reign with him a thousand years. When the thousand years come to an end, Satan will be let out of his prison. He will go out to deceive the nations called Gog and Magog in every corner of the earth. He will gather them together for battle, a mighty army, as numberless as sand along the seashore. And I saw them as they went up on the broad plain of the earth and surrendered, surrounded God's people and the beloved city. But fire from heaven came down on the attacking armies and consumed them. Then the devil, who had deceived them, was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. That's heavy stuff, huh? I uh, first just want to shout out <clears throat> Isaiah over here. I love watching you worship, man. Uh, one, because it's fantastic. But two, uh, when scripture says that you should be like Christ, like you took it super literally. And so I see you worshiping like this and you're like, and I just like with the long hair, like you're up on the cross, like 
in the sandals too. Like, oh, you're killing it in the be like Jesus market. I love it. Love it. How are we doing today? So this is a fun one. This last week, uh, unfortunately, uh, so Pastor John Mark was supposed to be preaching today. And uh, unfortunately, his, his mother is just not doing well, um, taking a turn for the worse. So if you guys could just be praying for the Ostrom family, uh, just loving on them. They have, uh, they've just really gone through it in the last five years that I've been here. They've experienced a lot of death in their family. And, uh, and John Mark is coming close to losing his last parent. So uh, if you guys could all just be praying for the Ostrom family, uh, lifting them up in your own time. Uh, and just, just man, they have served this church so faithfully. And uh, as a body, if we could just lift them up, uh, that's, that's the least we can do for how much they've given to this church. So, uh, But with that, Tyrone approached me on Wednesday. He said, hey, uh, it looks like John Mark can't preach. Uh, do you want to do it? And I'm like, sure, yeah, let's go. Like, let's, okay, we could do that. And then uh, I was with I was with Tyrone on uh, on Friday night, and we're driving, we're talking. And he's like, you're playing drums too, aren't you? I'm like, oh, yeah, I am also playing drums. So, so this is fun. But Tyrone gave me three things. He said, this is what you got to do, Tony. <laughs> three things. One, stay under 35 minutes. <laughs> so <laughs> where, uh, <laughs> where's my freedom conference people at? All right. So if anyone remembers, I got to speak at freedom conference and I was given like 15 minutes and 45 minutes later. Uh, <laughs> so we got to, we got to, we got to fix this. Where's my Monday men at? Oh Yeah. You also know I don't shut up. Uh, where's, where's my youth at? You also know I don't shut up. So stay under 35 minutes. Tyrone said, give them the big idea. They know what you're talking about. They can pay attention. They know the big ideas. Okay, I can give you a big idea. Let's do that. And number three, he said, make it applicable instead of just theology. So those are my three things I got to do today. I got to keep it under 35 minutes. I got to give you a big idea and make it applicable instead of just theology, all right? So here's the big idea. Jesus wins. Everything may get worse first, but Jesus wins. As we see the things in this book play out, some of them are nuts. But as we continue to see this world decline and grow in idol worship, Jesus comes back, the reigning, defending, King of kings and Lord of lords. Is that under 35 minutes? We good? All right, let's pray and then we can get to lunch. All right, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you win. Thank you that in the end, you win. Amen. Whew. All right. I was going to like sit down and do like a whole theatrical thing, but I didn't go to theater school. I'd probably butcher that. So Revelation 20, I read a bunch of different commentaries on this. Uh, I had a, had some people sending me some stuff. Some other people were like, yo, you got to listen to this guy. And, uh, and as I was going through it, I was like, this is heavy. And uh, John Mark, he, he texted me. He goes, man, thanks for, thanks for uh, pitch hitting. Uh, <laughs> no big deal. It's just two of the 16 fundamental truths of the Assemblies of God. So of the 16 most important things that the Assemblies of God felt the need to write down, we have two of them. The millennial reign and the final judgment. We took millennial reign pretty seriously today. 
We had Griffin leading us in worship, millennial. We had Andrew hosting, millennial. And then I myself, millennial. So the millennial reign is here today. And uh, so we have been waiting, we have been waiting and waiting for thousands of years for this moment, for the millennial reign. And you're in it. You're right here in the middle of it. Uh, for the record, please do not quote me on that. Uh, that is <laughs> so theologically horrible. Uh, and, and if I'm honest, that's the number one thing I'm scared about when we're reading this today is um, Tyrone says, make it applicable. Don't focus on theology. And I'm like, oh, there's so much though. Like, what do I do? So let's just get into it. We're just going to read verse by verse. And I'm just going to go through this with you the way I feel like I was going through it with the Lord as I was reading this this week. So <clears throat> chapter 20, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, that old serpent who was the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. Whew. You know what that sounds like to me? When I'm in trouble, my mom calls me by my full name. Anthony Philip Wayne Mickle, if you don't get over here, every time. That's my, that's my full name. Anthony Philip Wayne Mickle. True story. I was supposed to be named Philip Wayne Mickle. Then my dad wanted to name me after his friend Antonio. And so my mom was like, no, your name's Philip. And they argued about it. And so then she just scooted it over and put Anthony in there because I'm not Hispanic. I just married one instead. Uh, whose father's name is Antonio. So, uh, you know, it all works out. It all works out. So <clears throat> right here, there is no doubt who we're talking about, right? When my mom says Anthony Philip Wayne Mickle, I know she wasn't calling my brother, right? How many of y'all have siblings? How many of you have like, I have four how, or three siblings. I'm number four. How many of you have more siblings than, my, than I do? Okay. So how many of you have ever been in trouble and your, 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 your mom or your dad goes, Sam, Nancy, Matt, Tony, Tony, get over here, right? They see the whole, the whole thing. I'm just imagining you have like eight siblings and it's every single name. You're the last one. You, that one, get over here. They're mistaken, trying to figure out who is in trouble, trying to get the words out. There is, there is no mistaking it here. Who's in trouble? He says very clearly, the dragon, that old serpent, who is the devil, Satan. This dude sucks, <laughs> right? A couple years ago, okay, more like almost 10 years ago now, I was serving under uh, Pastor Tyrone and Amy in Washington uh, in a youth ministry, and uh, shout out to my Washingtonians, what, what? Uh, go Seahawks today. I'm an Eagles fan, but I, I'll, I'll give you the, the love. So I'm serving with them, and uh, we did this thing called Interview with the Devil on Halloween, and there's this whole production thing where basically Tyrone acts as a pastor, haha, <laughs> Pastoral isn't his gifting. I'm just saying. So anyway, so he uh, acts as pastor, and then somebody dressed as Satan acts as the devil, and uh, Tyrone interviews the devil, and he goes through, Satan goes through and starts saying, here's how I am manipulating in the world. Here's what I'm doing in your schools. Here's what I'm doing even in your churches. This is what I'm doing to manipulate, and uh, let me tell you what, it was the hardest time of my life when Tyrone asked me to play the devil. And uh, at first I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, no big deal. Let me tell you, this was so hard that uh, <laughs> a few months ago, Tyrone joked, he's like, oh yeah, we haven't done that here. We should do that here, Tony. You ready to, no, I am not ready to do that again. 
You are out of your mind. It was spiritually something really hard for me to do because I have to act well, right? No one wants, no one wants to see a bad actor, right? So I had to act well. I had to act out the number one dude that has wrecked my life. This guy has come in and he has done exactly what scripture says. He's came to, to steal, to kill, and destroy. And trying to glorify that was really hard in that moment. I remember just fasting and praying. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not a big faster. I like food, if you couldn't tell. Uh, earlier today, I got told I looked like an early 2000s Vin Diesel. I was, I was like, hey, if only I could get those muscles, that'd be great. But... Uh, <laughs> I, I'm feeling so good, Jacob. Thank you for that. You just, I had to Google it and look, and I was like, okay, okay. Um, <laughs> anyway, this guy has come in. Satan has come into our lives. He's, he's torn apart everything. He's made our lives so hard. He not only like, so I was somebody, I wrestled with pornography before I had a cell phone in my hand, right? So then here's the cell phone in your hand, and here's the internet to that, and here's right? This guy has come in. He's found everything he can do to just shove everything down our throats so that we would walk away from the Lord. That's been his goal. And he, right here, he seized the dragon, that old serpent who was the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. Whew. I look forward to that. Anybody else? Even better afterward when he's done, though. We'll get there. Spoiler alert. All right. The angel threw him to the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked. Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. Afterward, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw a throne, and the people sitting on them had been given the authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony, and Jesus uh, sorry, their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his statue, nor accepted his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They all came to life again, and they were reigning with Christ for a thousand years. This is the goal, right? Tyrone, Tyrone uh, posed a question to us a few weeks ago, which I just loved. And, and uh, I, was, I was meeting with, with Steve, and we were pondering this thought, what if I'm in the Bible? Is there a chance that, I, that right here, I'm actually written in here, I just don't know it yet? I sure hope so. I sure hope that when I look back and I remember all the time I spent reading this verse, I'm doing so in the millennial reign with Christ. This reminds me of something uh, that is said in another scripture. But first, I want to give you the real big idea. Because I, I forgot that was Tyrone's number two point. The real big idea is this. Our God is a God who drives out our enemies. He is a God who does not lose. So 1 Corinthians 9.24. I got to remember which of my 14 bookmarks to jump to here. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 says this. Paul, uh, who the Lord has just had me camping in 1 Corinthians, so I was not surprised when he brought this to my mind as I was uh, preparing here. Chapter 9, verse 24. Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. 
They do so to win a prize that will fade away. But what we do is for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Paul, I love the way the NLT says that. I'm not just shadow boxing. There is not a time in our Christian life where we're shadow boxing. You're either fighting for the real thing or you're sitting on the bench. That's your options here. You're fighting for the real thing or you're sitting on the bench. And, and Paul's saying that we do this for an eternal prize. And I, I believe we see that here in Revelation 1, we, uh, Revelation 20. One, we see it right here, but we also see it obviously in the end, uh, which I won't spoiler alert Tyrone's uh, message next as he closes up this book. Um, but we have the prize potentially of reigning with Christ in the millennium, but also we get eternity with him in the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, one thing that bothers me so much about American Christianity is our fixation on heaven. Like, it's not even a fixation on Christ being in heaven. It's just like, this place sucks, and that place sounds better, so I want to go there. And we focus on heaven. Oh, yeah, heaven, heaven, heaven. But what we, what we fail to remember is that our God is a God of complete and total restoration. If we just brought us to heaven, he would never complete the plan that he started 2,000 years ago however many years this world's been around, right? His plan was to create us in the place like the Garden of Eden and for us to live with him in community. That was the plan. And when we come back in the, in the end, it's beyond heaven. It's when we're living with Christ in a Garden of Eden-like world, right? Where we're no longer sinning. We no longer have that desire. It's just not in us anymore. People have asked, okay, well, so in heaven, do I just no longer have a free will? I think you absolutely still have a free will. You just don't want to sin anymore. There's no need. You're actually in relationship with Christ. You've experienced what sin looked like before, right? We all, we all did that. That's, that was great. Not. So now here we are just being able to live with Christ. And I'm excited for this idea that, that this goal here, it's a lofty one, but it's a real goal. A real goal, like, I hate to say it, but as I read this scripture, like, I hope I get beheaded. Straight up, I want to live my life in a way that somebody has to behead me because I'm such a threat. I remember when I was younger, the only thing I ever wanted was to die in my sleep. Anybody else? You're like, if I'm going to die, let it be when I'm 95 and I'm just tired and I fell asleep and I never woke up again, right? No, I want to be beheaded. Is that weird? Okay, I'm just making sure. I'm looking at my father-in-law's face. He's like, you're going to leave my daughter with that? <laughs> but that's the life we should, that's, that's, that's what we're called upon to live our lives in that way that we would reign with Christ in the millennia. I know Andrew's thinking, awkward. I see it. I see it. I feel it. All right. Let's continue on. Verse 5. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them, the second death holds no power. 
if you live your life in a way that leads you to the first resurrection and the right there you will never it's saying you will never f- see the second death the second death came after the judgment i i have a friend who used to say tony i won't go to church with you there's no way i'm never gonna go to church. i'm gonna walk in that place and i'm just gonna get struck with lightning and die and it's just gonna be a whole fiasco and that's not the way i want to go out so i'm not gonna go to church with you and that's living your life understanding that that judgment is coming right not doing anything about it but he understands that that judgment is coming a non-christian is like "Uh uh-uh I'm going to get struck down. I'm not about that. But we, believers in Christ, those who, who have accepted him, we know that the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ who will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years comes to an end, Satan will be led out of his prison. He will go out to deceive the nations called Gog and Magog, we were joking earlier, Gog Magog, Gog, Gog and Magog, and every corner of the earth, he will gather them together for a battle, a mighty army as numberless as sand along the seashore. And I saw them as they went up to the broad plain of the earth and surrounded God's people and the beloved city. But fire from heaven came down on the attacking armies and consumed them. This sounds a lot like what we just read a few weeks ago, right? We have this massive battle. The armies are getting set up. It's about to go down, right? And then, boom, it's over. It's not a real battle because we have a God of victory. This is not even a real battle. And Satan knows it. He's been, <laughs> he knows this word better than you and I do. He knows it. He's still going to try and he's going to fail. And then, after the millennial reign, he's going to try again. And he's going to fail. Whew, I'm so glad he's going to fail. So, this brings me to a couple of different scriptures. First, the thing that stuck out to me was Gog and Magog. Gog and Magog. Anybody ever heard of Gog and Magog before? Just the Bible nerds in here. Gog and Magog. This one's fun. We're going to jump to Ezekiel. Whew. Anybody ever seen that, that little meme? It's like, hey, what's your name? Tony! Yeah, I think of that every time I go to Ezekiel, because the other guy's name is Ezekiel, and I'm Tony. I'm just Thank you. Just me and Andrew today. It's all good. It's the Tony and Andrew show. This is, we said it was for the millennials, and all the millennials got that. I'm just saying. All right. I'm so distracting. This is why I go over 35 minutes. All right. So Ezekiel 38. We're going to start in verse 14. Ezekiel 38, 14. So uh, first at the beginning of 38, it says, this is a message that came to me from the Lord, son of man, uh, turn and face Gog and of the land of Magog. So this is about Gog and the land of Magog, Ezekiel 38. So verse 14, therefore, son of man, prophesy against Gog. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. When my people are living in peace in their land, that's what we see, right? A millennial reign, the Lord's people living in peace. Then you will rouse yourself. You will come from your house, uh, from your homeland in the distant north with the vast cavalry and your mighty army. And you will attack my people, Israel. 
covering their land like a cloud. At that time, in the distant future, I will bring you against my land as everyone watches, and my holiness will be displayed by what happens to you, Gog. Then all the nations will know that I am the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord asks. Are you the one I was talking about long ago when I announced through Israel's prophets that in the future I will bring you against my people? But this is what the sovereign Lord says. When Gog invades the land of Israel, my fury will boil over. The Lord's fury will boil over. This is the last battle. And the Lord's fury is going to boil over. In my jealousy and blazing anger, I promise a mighty shaking in the land of Israel on that day. All living things, the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the animals in the field, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the people of the earth will quake in terror at my presence. Mountains will be thrown down, cliffs will crumble, walls will fall to the earth. I will summon the sword against you. On all of the hills of Israel, says the sovereign Lord. Your men will turn their swords against each other. I will punish you and your armies with disease and bloodshed. I will send torrential rain, hailstorms, fire, and burning sulfur. In this way, I will show my greatness and holiness, and I will make myself known to all the nations of the world. Then they will know that I am the Lord. This is it. We're at the end. We're at this final, the final, final battle. There's nothing, there's nothing left. And the Lord is saying, I'm going to handle this. And all will know that I am the Lord. This made me think, uh, I, I continue to shout out, and, and, and this isn't just because Steve is great, uh, which he is. But I continue to shout out Steve because I just need everyone to know, if you don't have a mentor in your life, you're missing out. End of story. Go get a mentor in your life. The Lord continues to speak uh, to, to me, and, and, and he brought this. Um, before I was even asked to preach, uh, Steve and I were, were meeting, and, uh, and Steve just prayed this over myself. Uh, and, and this is something he prays over himself all the time. And it just stood out to me as I was reading through that, that, that prophecy about Gog and Magog. <clears throat> it reminded me of Exodus 35. Exodus 35, verse 10, the Lord replied, listen, I am making a covenant with you in the presence of all your people. I will perform miracles that have never been performed anywhere in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people around you will see the power of the Lord, the awesome power I will display for you. But listen carefully to everything I command you today. Then I will go ahead for you and drive out the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perzavites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Be very careful never to make a treaty with the people who live in the land where you are going. If you do, you will follow their evil ways and be trapped. Those people living in that millennial reign with Christ, they're the ones who didn't get the devil's symbol on their, on their forehead. They didn't get on their hand. They didn't make a treaty with the enemy. And then the Lord comes and does exactly this. And he drives out their enemies. In fact, Steve was saying he shortened this verse to, then I will go ahead and drive out your enemies. Yes, there's a list of like seven here. But if you look in scripture over 200 times, the Lord says he's going to drive out our enemies. 
How many of you are living in a life where you feel you are confident the Lord is going to drive out your enemies? I'll be honest, I don't always live that way. I don't always live in such a way where I know the Lord's telling me to go somewhere and I go, oh, he's going to drive out that enemy. Can I just be real? Like, I don't, I don't always believe that. Sometimes I really wrestle with thinking there are giants in the land and I'm scared. But over 200 times, the Lord says this. And in the end, when we're getting right toward the end of Revelation, before the final restoration of all things, the Lord does one more time. He drives out our enemies. This, this verse the Lord has continued to put in my heart as I've just been wrestling with this personally uh, for the last like six months. This has just been just pounding in my head. 1 Samuel 18 and 46, this is where, where David is just about to go and kill Goliath. He has, he's stepping out on the battlefield. He's looking at this massive giant. And this is what happens. To, this is what he says. Today, the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give it to us. A couple things continue to stand out to me there. One, I just want to live my life in a way that they would know there is a God in Israel. That's it. I want to prophesy in a way that people will go, oh, there's a God in Israel. I want to evangelize in a way that people go, oh, there's a God in Israel, right? Those are my, as we, we took that five-fold gifts test, those are my, my one and two, prophecy and uh, evangelism. And I was really scared of the evangelism one, I'm not going to lie, because I was like, I'm not Billy Graham. That guy was great at evangelism, I'm not. Uh, but as, as we continue to see this movement that is happening right now, evangelism is no longer just a guy on a microphone saying, uh, hey, everything is bad and you're going to go to hell if you don't accept Jesus, come do it. Evangelism really is discipleship. It really is investing in people and growing. That's why I stress, like get a mentor in your life, somebody who is constantly pouring into you and then you pouring into other people. Second Timothy 2.2. Let's get it. But one thing that, the other thing that really stuck out to me was that David, who's coming into a very real physical battle, says this. The Lord rescues his people but not with the sword and spear. But this is a physical battle. Literally, we're talking two armies about to collide. And David says something very curious. I mean, he has something physical in his hand, right? He's got a stone. He's about to hit Goliath in the face, which is gangster. And then he's going to take Goliath's own sword and chop off his head. Also pretty gangster. But then David says, but not with the sword and with spear, with a spear. David is speaking to a reality that we face today. That our battle is not against flesh and blood, but anybody? I hear mumbles. 
Thank you. Principalities. I love that. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but we have a God who conquers both in flesh and blood and in the spiritual realm. We see him conquering time and time again, and over 200 times he says, that's what he's going to do. There's a God in Israel. I could just say that all day. There is a God in Israel. Thank God that we don't have to literally be Jewish born anymore. That because of Jesus' sacrifice, that we can inherit all things that were promised to his people. And that the Jewish people were just supposed to be set apart to show the goodness of God. But Jesus came, showed the goodness of God, and now we can have that. Now we can, can have those promises. And now we get the opportunity to live in a way that we get to reign with the Lord. And then in the end, when the deceiver tries to go and deceive again, ends the battle. Ends the battle. Lickety split. Done. Tyrone gave a, a great analogy, I think two weeks ago, of like, <laughs> you ever been in a fight where like, they don't know, that you don't know that you're about to be in a fight? but the other person does. And Tyrone gets jumped. He didn't know he was about to be in a fight. The other guys knew, but Tyrone didn't know. And guess who was on the floor? Tyrone, who didn't know he was about to be in a fight. <laughs> These guys come, they're like, oh, here we go. And then, done. <sighs> I feel like I don't have a lot to say. And, and the reason for that is because it's right here. Like, there's nothing that I can do to add to or to try to change anyone in this room's mind on how they should live their life. There's, no, there's nothing I can do here except point, point this out. That we have a God who is offering for us to live in a way that we could reign with him for that millennia, and then again in eternity, and that he's going to drive out our enemies. It's just that simple. He's going to drive. It's, it's not a question of whether or not he's going to drive out their enemies. In fact, in the, whenever the Lord wasn't going to drive out an enemy, he told them first, hey, I'm not going to drive out the enemy. Don't do it. And then the Israelites were dumb and they went and did it anyway. Know the Lord and then you'll know your battles and then you'll know what he's going to deliver you from. Fire came down from heaven on the attacking armies and consumed them. Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. I think this right here is what, what the Bible means when it says that vengeance is the Lord's. Because as we know, yes, people can come against us. Yes, people can attack us. Yes, people can abuse us. But in the end, it's always been Satan. It's always been him and his fight with God coming after us. And this is when he says, vengeance is mine. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Oh, I'm cool with being tormented in this life so I can laugh while he's being tormented in the next. This one has an expiration date. That one doesn't. The final judgment. <clears throat> and I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it, the earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were open, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done 
as recorded in the books. The sea gave up their dead, the death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death, the one that those in the millennial reign are protected from. Anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Something stands out to me here. It says they were all judged according to their deeds. But if they were in the book of life, they were spared. So your deeds is what you do, but how do you get into the book of life? Through what Jesus did. There's not a thing you can do. For anyone who's sitting here going, you should see what I've done. There's not a thing you can do to make up for it. There's not a thing you can do to try to get pretty before you, before you come to Jesus. Nothing. He just comes and says, come on. Come on. And when you accept him, and he forgives you of all your sin, and he writes your name in the book of life. Regardless of how that judgment goes, you're saved. Regardless of every single thing that you've done, you're saved. Whenever I think of the weight of sin, I think of Paul. I shared, I shared this, this thought process a few weeks ago at Monday Men, and one of the gentlemen was just like, wait, Paul's in heaven? Like, he's like blown away. Because uh, I was a reading, he was, he was, he was raised Catholic, and uh, he was like, oh, man, I've, I've done a lot of bad stuff. I don't know if I'm, if I'm going to get there. And, uh, and I was telling him, I'm like, yeah, look, Paul, he wrote all this stuff. You know, he read the whole Bible. Like, this guy was like, not the whole Bible. You get what I'm saying. He wrote so much of the New Testament, so much of, of what we're living our lives based off of today, all after he was murdering Christians, sending people to go murder Christians. I mean, this guy has a list. <laughs> if you want to list the things you've done in your life, I hope that murdering 100 people isn't on it. Uh, but Paul's done at least that. And then the Lord came in, radically changes his life, and now he gets to reign in the millennia with the Lord. Not because of his deeds, because just one of those murders outweighs anything good he's ever done in his life. In fact, Jesus says, if you've done harm to somebody in your mind, you've murdered them. But regardless, Jesus wipes it clean. Allows, I mean, I'm just excited. I'm gonna I'm gonna reign with Paul, yo. I'm gonna I'm gonna hang out with that murderer, and that's not what he is. And he is a son of the living God. When we talk about Paul, we talk about how he once did murder. We say Apostle Paul, right? We don't say murderer Paul. That's not who he is. It's not who he is. Whatever is on your rap sheet, it's not who you are. Anyone whose name was found and recorded in the book of life was not thrown into the lake of fire. That's it. I don't have anything big fancy to tell you. I, don't, I didn't want to go all theological. I could read what the Assemblies of God believes about this, and that would be cool. But I think 
sometimes we get way too much into the theology or we get way too into where does this correlate with this and how does it mean here? And if I believe in this, then how does this? We get so into all of that and we just forget something very simple. And it's that our God always wins. One thing that blew my mind as a, and I'm going to wrap up. So if the worship team wants to come up here. One thing that, blew my mind when I accepted Christ when I was young was that Jesus who knew every sin I would ever commit before the creation of the earth still created the earth. He still did it because he loved me. Before anything spun, before there is a recorded word from God's mouth, he knew everything I would do. Yet he chose to create anyway. One of the things that also blows my mind is that God can't be untrue to himself. So when he created this world and he wrote laws into this world, like sin, and that sin had to be paid for by blood, followed the rules that he created, that he's above. He followed the rules and sent Jesus to die in the rule book. (laughs) And he planned this all out before he created me. Before he, before he spun anything, he said, these are my rules. They're going to break them within those rules. I'm going to send Jesus because I'm true to my unto myself. And in the end, I will do what? I will drive out their enemies and I will restore them. You know what's the coolest part about all that? Is I didn't do anything. You have a creating God who loves so much that he's going to drive out our enemies and restore us back to him. I don't know what your enemies are today. But it's just a simple fact of scripture. This isn't me trying to be a prophet and and speaking holy language. It's just a simple fact. You see it all throughout scripture. He drives out our enemies. Pray with me. Father, thank you. I thank you that you drive out our enemies. Lord, I pray today that you drive out the enemy of depression. I pray today that you drive out the enemy of suicide. I pray today that you drive out the enemy of sexual abuse. I pray today that you drive out the enemy of comparison. I pray that you that you drive out the enemy of self-worth and self-deprecation, Lord. I pray that you drive out the enemy that is self-harm. I pray that you drive out the enemy that, that, is, that is the oppression of Satan. I pray that you, you drive out the enemy that is control. Lord, we need you to drive out our enemies today. And Lord, as as Paul says, Lord, maybe run the race for victory. Lord, we, we come before you, Lord. We're excited. We're not begging you to reign in the millennia. We're excited to do it because of your words. Lord, may we be maybe be Christians that don't just want to die in our sleep, but maybe be Christians that are are willing to be beheaded. 
I know that's I know that's a lofty, weird prayer, but may we be Christians that are willing to be beheaded for your word, for your gospel, or we're tired. We're tired of this Sunday morning thing where we just come and we do it over again and over again out of ritual. Lord, drive out the enemy of complacency in us today. Let us live in such a way that they would know that there is a God in Israel. May we live in such a way that they would know there is a God in Rivers Church. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us.